You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Paul has three things, I think, for us today. One, God's miraculous mission has always been, since the beginning, to start his church and build his church through Jesus. And he'll continue to do that until Jesus comes back. Two, Jesus broke down every barrier. So everyone has access, not only to eternal life with Christ, but membership in God's family, God's church. Three, God wants his family to scatter, be sent out, right? Right where you are and carry out the mission of his church, this church, that all may know that all can have abundant eternal life through Jesus. We love the church and my family loves this church. And I, I look out, and just in two years, I see people that I've, we've laughed with and cried with and fellowshiped with, and I don't think argued with, but maybe that too, but that's what you do in a family. And we praise God because we see people that we, we love. And, and if you haven't dove into a church family, you're missing out. You're missing out, so please do. <laughs> Please do. Let's dive into Ephesians 3. Um, Paul says in Ephesians 3, 1, for this reason, which means we should go back and figure out what reasons he's talking about, but we don't have to because he's basically going back anyway, and like a good teacher, he's closing the first half of this letter. We're halfway there by saying that, what he just said, but he's saying it in a different way. You see, Paul's a great teacher. I'm a teacher. I coach basketball for, for a living, and although I'm not great, I know that you have to say things, and you have to say them in different ways a lot of times, the same thing before somebody gets it. Just recently, I'm trying to um, instill an offense in, in our teams, and there's uh, positions called slots and, and wings, and I said, well, just get to the slot or line up in two slots, and they weren't getting it, but then when I said get to the slot. Or I said, line up in two slots, right? They started doing it, right? It was just the way I was saying it, but once I said it the right way, which is not going to happen for the next 15 or 20 minutes, I'm sorry. They got it. They got it. So that, that's Paul all through his writings. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it differently, but I got to make it clear. So let's pray. He makes it clear today. And in, in the second and third verses, he says this, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is a mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. And he builds even more in, in verse 5. He says that this mystery was not made known to people in other generations as it's now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets, people like me, Paul's saying. Can we sense some, some pride? Can we read some pride in there that God gave Paul a massive revelation and a, and a place of prominence in his mission? Yeah, maybe. But guaranteed he's saying can you believe God revealed the answer to me guaranteed he's saying that more than he's saying look at me see Paul is brilliant and just as Paul says that he's the least of all the apostles he's also sharing and he shares that no one has been more prepared by God or suffered more for Christ than him Paul might be saying look at me but no one 
speaks or points to God's grace on their life and God's sovereignty over all things, including him, than Paul. But it is kind of cool that he takes five sentences before he reveals the secret that he's been given, right? And he finally reveals the answer in verse 6. And we see the answer in verse 6. And it's like he can't wait to burst out with it. That through the gospel, the Gentiles, everybody that's not a Jew, his readers are, are, are listening. They're, they're, the, they're those people. They're heirs together, it says, with Israel, members together of one body, the church of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying everybody has access. The kingdom of God is open. He wants everybody to hear it. Paul calls it a mystery, something that can only be revealed by revelation, a secret. Why? Because all God's prophets in the Old Testament, that big section of our Bible, all of them were Jews, and all of them were speaking to the Jewish nation. And even though God shared through them over 300 times that the Messiah would come and offer salvation to all the nations, they missed it. They missed it. And even the first apostles, all Jews, believed that salvation through Jesus was just for the Jews. The Jewish nation thought God was building a one-room flat exclusively for the Jewish nation when God had a 775-room Buckingham palace prepared, right? Jesus, look what Jesus says in John 14 too. He says, in my father's house, I hope this rings a little bit more true for you today. In my father's house, there are many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I was going to prepare a place for you? Paul is saying here in Ephesians 3 that he's been called by God to make it clear. No question that God's plan all along was to start his church, a church open to all through the blood of Jesus. You see, Jesus was present at creation. God's rescue through Jesus had already been planned. God told Satan after Adam and Eve fell to sin that Jesus would crush his head. God had already planned that through Jesus. God's people couldn't follow the Ten Commandments and neither could we. But God knew it. And he he had the rescue plan in place already through Jesus. The entire sacrificial system that never changed the hearts of God's people. The answer had already been planned at the cross through Jesus. Paul says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin has always been the problem. Sin is still the problem. But Jesus, I love it. He's the great rescuer. He made a way for the sin of the Jews and the sin of the Gentiles, all of us, to be forgiven once and for all on the cross. Jesus did it by taking the punishment for my sin, for your sin, and everybody who's watching and everybody who's not watching. One of my favorite little kids' songs that has a line that says this. We can't sing it, but I guess I can really badly. What can wash away my sin I wish you could sing it nothing but the blood of Jesus if you're here or you're watching and you've never trusted in Jesus and the forgiveness that Paul is talking about that he offers through his death and resurrection that's why Paul's so excited about it 
You have access to this right now. To trust in Jesus' death and resurrection, to surrender your life to him and join his family, maybe this family. I just, I just want to pray right now. Lord, I just, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for sending, Lord God, Jesus to die on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for taking the punishment of our sin, everybody's sin, in the presence of this right now, Lord. Thank you for taking their sin, for forgiving their sin, and offering them through the resurrection eternal life with you. I pray now for anyone who hasn't surrendered their life, regardless of of where they've been or what they've been doing, Lord, that today might be the day that they surrender their life to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. For all of us who have trusted in Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, we remember our transformation, don't we? You remember it. How could Paul forget his one-time destroyer of the church? He was blinded by God, saved by Jesus, and immediately began preaching and teaching the Word of God. Ephesians 3, 7, he remembers it. He remembers it, and he says this, that he became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I'm less than the least of all these, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Paul marvels so much at God's grace and God's plan for his church because he was there. In the beginning of the church, he was there. And in order to marvel at God's sovereignty like Paul does, I think we got to take a look at how Paul was used to start the church. It was amazing. And it's in, it's in the book of Acts, this history book that we have. And I'm going to give you like the quickest run ever through the first seven chapters. Jesus died and he rose from the dead and he spent time with his disciples and he ascended into heaven. And the Holy Spirit came. And the church, made up of Jews, is growing in number at the beginning. As as the apostles are sharing the message of Jesus by the power of that Holy Spirit. And in this early church, as it grows, leaders are needed as the church grows. And one who's called to lead is a guy named Stephen. And he's just a regular guy in the church. But it says about Stephen that he's full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Let it be said of us in this church that we're full of faith in the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 6, Stephen finds himself on trial for blasphemy because of his willingness to boldly preach the message of Christ. So those who have him on trial, in in verse 7-1, there's this little short verse, Acts 7-1, it says this, are these charges true, Stephen? And for the next 52 verses, he shares the God story from Abraham to Jesus to the start of the church. That was bold. I can't believe they even listened to it. But at the end of it, he says this, you guys killed Jesus, the righteous one, the fulfillment of the very law that you claim to obey. Well, they weren't too happy about that, needless to say. And check out what happens then. In 7, Acts 7, 54 through 8, 1. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. Don't ask me what that looks like. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of the voices, they all rushed at him. If we took time to look at that, we'd laugh, but this isn't funny, this next part, because they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. 
but we know is Paul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. And I want you to look at verse 58 closely, please. Because standing up, in verse 58, standing up while they're stoning him, he says, Lord, receive my spirit. That's for himself. Don't miss this, because he gets on his knees. Then he gets on his knees, right? Then he prays for the people that are stoning him. He says, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Like, I want that kind of faith, right? To pray for the salvation of the people that are stoning him, that are killing him. See, that's the first recorded martyr in the church. But don't miss verse 58. Who's there seemingly officiating over the proceedings? As it says in Acts 8.1, it says he approved, Paul did. He approved the killing of Stephen. The same guy whose letter we're studying today, he, he approved this first martyrdom. Soon to be saved, this guy, Paul, serving God, soon he will serve God by the grace of God. And he gives his nod of approval. So the first recorded martyr, only God could write this story. Only God could write your story. In Acts 8, 1 through 3, it says this. It's not done. It's, it's amazing. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. It looked like this band of Jesus' followers was done. Just as the church was getting started, it looked like it was done. It looked really bleak. But I think, I think God, he always kind of revels in letting us think that the deck is stacked, doesn't he? He always kind of wants us, I think, in those big moments to think that, no way, it can't happen. Look at verse 1b. It says that when the persecution happened, the church scattered. But look closely at who scattered or was sent out. Because that's what it means. It says all but the apostles scattered. Stay with me here, please. Because the very definition of an apostle is one sent out who has the special task of establishing and founding churches. But it says here that all but the ones who were specifically supposed to establish churches were scattered. The ones who weren't supposed to do it, God sent out, scattered them to go do it. It looked like it was over. Because those who were the most qualified stayed. The only chance the church had was those who weren't all trained up. God wants the glory. That is why that verse will always be so important to me. See, God builds his church and he uses people like us who are scared, who don't think that we have the faith or the gifts that he could possibly use to start a church or help build a church. But God does it. And he does it when he wants, where he wants, and through whom he wants. Watch how perfectly positioned Paul was by God 
You see, Paul was a Jew, but also a Gentile, and he was a brilliant Jewish scholar and a prominent Gentile, perfectly positioned, even when nobody thought it could happen. It gets even better. Look in Acts 11. If you look at me, with me, at Acts 11, 19, it says this. Now, those who had been scattered, those, those ones who weren't all trained up by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, they traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. And it goes on to say that some of these believers in Antioch, they began to speak to non-Jews, Gentiles. And a great number of them started believing and they turned to the Lord. And then it says, when a great number of Gentiles have been brought to the Lord, it says in Acts eleven twenty six. So you have all these Gentile that have come to know the Lord. And then it says in eleven twenty five and 26 of the book of Acts, you're not going to believe what it says here. Barnabas, who was there, went to Tarsus to look for, to look for who? To look for Saul, to look for Paul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul, Paul, met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So the guy, Paul, who approved of the very first martyrdom in the first days of the church, the same guy who caused these people that he's, that he's teaching to scatter, he now stands in front of them. That guy gets saved, Paul, that guy, and he's the one who comes where those in the church are first called Christians, and he's the guy who teaches them the bigger story of God and his son, Jesus. Only God could do this. What were their faces like in Antioch, I wonder, when Barnabas said, I, I got to go get Paul. What must the reception have been when, when Paul walks in and he first arrives in Antioch to start teaching? Had he persecuted some of their family members? I don't know. See, that's, that's the family. That's the body. We know God does everything and anything with his people. Your story is unique. This is the same Paul who was writing today. The, the, this book we're looking at, this letter, the Ephesians church, years later, still amazed at God's glory and how God started his church and how God's still using him to build it. This isn't just a bunch of stories in this book we have. It's a history book, a living and active testimony of God's sovereign grace for his church and all who believe since the beginning of time. See, God alone saves people. God alone builds the church. And God alone grows the church how he wants and through who he wants, when he wants. So he alone gets the glory. I don't know about you, but you could line up the people from here all the way back to North Carolina that would say, no way that guy, Greg Burton, is going to be standing in front of people talking about Jesus. No way. Only by God's grace. Only by God's grace. Paul closes with these marching orders for us. This church is part of the global church. He writes in Ephesians 3, 10 through 12. Mark already read it. His, God's intent, was that now through the church, right here, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's purpose since the beginning of time was to call you into his family. The church, so that you might make known to all in your sphere of influence where he's planted you in all these different areas. The plan that he accomplished through Jesus and the grace that he exhibited through you. I came across a quote from 
this guy, Jeff Bezos, who founded this little company called Amazon. Mr. Bezos is now the richest man in the world, I believe, and he said this, and it, and it struck me. And I know it's odd timing, but there are jobs, he says, there are careers, and then there's a calling. Figure out how to follow your calling, and you've hit the jackpot. Most people don't ever get there. You're very lucky if you have a career. Most people just have a job. Jeff Bezos says he found his calling. I would say it's the wrong one. He understands how to make billions of dollars by allowing people never to leave their home and order whatever they want. But that's just what he does. He's called by God to repent of his sin. And called by God to be on mission through God's family, the church, that God created through Jesus. He may have or be able to get anything and everything that he wants, but he's missing the only thing he ever needed, (laughs) Jesus. You're not called to be a lawyer. You're not called to be an artist or a teacher or a coach. That's a gifting or a passion that you've been given by your creator, God. You're called to join the mission of the church, to love your neighbor and your community and your coworkers in such a radically unique way that they'd want to be a part of this family, the family of God, a family like we have here, the Redeemer. This church, Redeemer, started Love Ealing last year. And it wasn't just a seasonal marketing tactic. It's our calling as a church to love one another and our neighbor in unique and creative ways. And I hope, I hope that that you haven't stopped. I hope that we keep reminding each other that's our mission, that's our calling, because he planted us here. Maybe you've never understood God's call in your life and his plan for your life. We'd love to chat with you about that. Maybe you've never joined a church family and wonder what what, what it means. And we'd love to talk to you about that. You belong to God, and maybe he's calling you today to give him back what you've been trying to leave. Because your life is his. He created you for him. Maybe you've been trying to write your own story. It's his story. He wants to write it through you. Let's pray. Lord, we we thank you for the testimony that you gave Paul. We thank you for the excitement that he has and the wonder and amazement he has about your grace. Lord, let us be in awe and wonder of your grace as Paul is. We thank you for the church, this vehicle that you've given us to be on mission with you, Lord. To let this this world who so, so needs to know you and know the hope that you offer through Jesus. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of the church. Help us to love each other well, Lord, so well that this community around us is amazed that we might love them. They might find your love in the process. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen.